Please be seated. I just want to say that I am, we were glad to see Sue walk in this morning. I'm especially glad to see her back tonight. I told her of all the people who had any excuse not to show up, it was her and she just said she was a glutton for punishment. Actually, I said that, but she agreed. But uh, anyway, uh, it's always good to be together as God's people, as God's family, to worship together and study from his word. One of my favorite movies of all time, this is going to shock you. It's not a war movie. It's not a history movie. It is The Lion King. I remember when my children were growing up, I guess was when, when they were small, is when The Lion King first came out and we had it on, it was probably DVD, I mean probably, uh, what are those things called? VCR, yeah, I done forgot what those were. Uh, VCR first. And uh, they would watch it over and over and over and over and over again. And I loved watching it with them. I loved the, the, the kind of the story behind it all. I remember, in fact, years ago, we did a whole series of devotionals with the young people based off the songs out of The Lion King and the, a spiritual application that could, could be made to them. And so I was really thrilled when the, uh, when the new Lion King came out. I was extremely upset that my granddaughter went and saw it without me. So I made her go with me to see it again two days after she'd already seen it. I had to bribe her with, you know, a trip to Walmart and the toy section and food and popcorn and all that kind of stuff. But she willingly went with me. And all those songs, I loved, I loved all those, like I said, all the songs in The Lion King. And if you don't know The Lion King, I'm sorry, but we'll get past that here in a minute. But one of my favorite songs is Hakuna Matata. And that song is sung by uh, Pumbaa and Timon. Am I right? I had to double check that a minute ago. So I'm going to assume that's right. They're the little friends of Simba and, and, uh, you know, they go on and they start talking about their life and what it's become. And, and the chorus kind of goes like this. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. And I just loved that song. Don't we wish it were so? You know, don't we wish that it was a problem-free philosophy, a problem-free life, that we could go through life with absolutely zero worries, with nothing on our minds, and just kind of be oblivious to everything. Now, you may know some people like that. But generally in life, it does not really turn out well if that is actually... Your philosophy. And so Jesus comes along and he talks a little bit about worry. He actually talks a lot about worry. Before the verses, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. But right before that, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, is when Jesus talks about your treasure and your heart. That where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And not to store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and thieves and rust and all those things can destroy. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can't be destroyed. And then he says, therefore, and remember, we've talked about the therefore refers back to what he'd been talking about. Because we're going to store up treasures in heaven, because we're not going to store up treasures on earth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will, what will you wear? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field, how they grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if we've learned anything, you know, we used to focus a lot, and we still do, on verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, we even have a song we sing, you know, seek ye first. But the older I get, the more I appreciate verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough problems of its own. Right? Yeah. And so Jesus tells us not to worry. How much time and energy is spent worrying on unnecessary things? How many health issues are contributed by or to by worry or exacerbated by worry? I went online just to, you know, to do a little Google search and I put in worry and health and my computer exploded. You know, there was all of these studies and all of this evidence, how that worry contributes to all these different health issues, you know, high blood pressure, heart disease and, you know, shingles and all kinds of different things, you know, that worry and stress and all these things add, add to it. And so there's all these physical problems. Jesus is giving us a lesson in life. But now, Jesus is not saying, Hakuna Matata. He is not saying that we ought to be poor stewards of what he has given us. He's not saying that we ought to you know, disregard the responsibilities that we have to our families and, and to our livelihoods and things like that. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, you remember what Paul said? If a man will not work, he shall not eat. 
And over and over again, it talks about taking care of our families and things like that. So he's not saying just walk around and just kind of wait for whatever's going to happen. Expecting others to take care of you or your responsibilities. Even the birds actually have to go get the food, right? You know, they don't just, I guess the baby birds do. They just kind of go like that. But the mom and daddy birds don't. So there is a responsibility that we have. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, it's interesting that the word worry, the Greek word, I don't know a lot of Greek, but I can look things up. But the Greek word for worry is merimna, merimna. Well, forget that. You don't care about that. But what it means is, this is what we ought to care about. What it means is to be distracted. Or an unhealthy preoccupation. That makes a little sense. That begins to explain a little more when Jesus says don't worry. He's not saying just don't have any concern about anything in life. Don't be distracted, however, from what's really important. Don't be preoccupied unhealthily. Is that a word? Don't be preoccupied with things that you don't have anything, you can't do anything about. And so what Jesus says and reminds us here is, we've got a, a couple points. First of all, worry is useless. Have you noticed that? Worry is useless. Jesus tells us what we already know, that much of our worry, the worry in our lives is useless. He said, who of you, by worrying... Can add a single hour to your life. And the answer is. Probably by worrying. You will subtract hours on your life. You cannot worry yourself to living longer. You cannot worry. You know. Kids. You know. School just started. I don't know if you've had any tests yet. But you will soon. You know. Worrying about the test is not going to help you get an A on the test. That's not going to happen. Parents, worrying about our children is not going to keep them safe. It may make us feel better. Maybe. But it's not going to keep them safe. Worrying about our bills, that's not going to pay the bills, is it? Worrying about our jobs is not going to keep our jobs. Now, there is a difference between worrying and doing, you know. Uh, you want to make an A on the test, don't worry about it, study. Isn't that smart? I'm brilliant. I'm helping you all out. Okay, all right. You know, if you're worried about paying the bills, get a budget. You know, if you're worried about, the, you know, doing something is Okay. But just worrying about things never solved anything. And so Jesus is reminding us about that. He says the birds don't worry. The flowers don't worry. But they're taken care of. And so worry in and of itself is useless. Now, now I believe, this is my personal, you know, if, if worry or concern prompts us to do something, in a certain situation, then I think that that's, that is guided correctly. But if all we do is worry about things we have absolutely no concern about, 
then I think it, you know, kind of is counterproductive. I'll be honest with you. The roles in my household between me and my wife in one particular area have absolutely reversed in the last 32 years. 36 years. (laughs) 32 years is how long I've been here. (laughs) I knew that wasn't right when I said it. 36 years. When we first got married, as you know, you know, I'm kind of a history junkie, political junkie. Kenya didn't care about any of that stuff. You know, she didn't know about anything. And somewhere over the last 36 years, the roles have reversed. She knows everything there is to know about politics. She knows every piece of news. It's either Fox News or CNN or whatever, and she's back and forth. And she knows all of it. And she'll come in and she'll tell me, guess what happened? You remember it? And I'm like, no, I don't know. For the first time in my life, and I know this is kind of sad, but for the first time in my life, I cannot name a single member of the cabinet. I'm lucky I know who the vice president is, which is very odd for me. But at some point in time, especially with the 24-hour news and all that kind of stuff, it just got to me to be just too, too much. There wasn't anything I could do about it anyway. I mean, I cast my vote. That's that's what I can do. But so, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. Others of you may want to, whatever. That's fine. I'm not, you know, that's okay. But we spend a lot of time worrying about things that we cannot change. That we have absolutely no, there's nothing we can do about it. And so Jesus says, don't worry about those things. And then he goes on and he said, not only is worry useless, he says, worry shows a lack of faith. Ooh. Jesus clearly says that worrying about the things of this life, being distracted, show a lack of faith and trust in God. That He does it subliminally a little bit. But he says, look, the birds don't worry. God takes care of them. The flowers don't worry. God takes care of them. Why are you worrying? And then here's the subliminal message. Don't you trust God? Like the birds and the flowers? Oh, yeah, we ought to trust God. We ought to trust God as our creator and our sustainer. In chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 7 through 11, he says, you know, ask. You shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Trust God. God promises to give us what we need. Maybe not what we want or what we think we need, but what we need. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Peter says, cast your anxiety. Excuse me. I missed an important word there. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. And then in those beautiful verses, some of my favorite in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. But the next part of that is key. Don't stop there. 
Don't stop there. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The birds and the flowers are all part of God's creation. He provides for them and he has promised to provide for us. Okay, this is one of those things that just popped into mind. Do you remember a song that goes along with these verses? Consider the lilies of the field. Oh, they grow. Anybody remember that song? A couple? Yeah. We need to find that song and sing it. It's not an easy song. But anyway, most of you don't know that song. But pretty cool. The lilies of the field, how they grow. Yeah, well, anyway. Okay. Uh, Now, we've talked about this before. But I believe, this is my personal belief. That verse 33 where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. I think that that is what I call a general promise. Not an absolute promise. You know, there are promises in the Bible that are not necessarily absolutes. In Proverbs chapter 22 and 6, we've talked, used this as an example before. The writer says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Is that an absolute promise? I don't think so. Because you and I have seen children who were raised in the Lord, who were trained in the Lord. And when they got old enough to make decisions on their own, they rejected God and the teachings of the Bible. We've seen children raised in the same family. One remains faithful to what the the heritage of their parents and grandparents and what they were taught. And another goes a different direction. Generally speaking, we teach our children right. And they'll stay faithful to the Lord. But that's not an absolute. And I don't think that verse 6 and 33 is either. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Now what are the all these things? Well, it's what he'd been talking about just above. Food, water, clothes, all those kind of things. Generally speaking, when we serve God and put him first... He is going to take care of our physical needs. They will be taken care of. But I don't believe that's an absolute either. Because I believe that there are faithful Christians in other parts of the world. Not so much here. But in other parts of the world. Faithful Christians who are starving to death. Because of their economic or agricultural situation that they are in. And so God has told us that he will take care of us, but it is not an absolute. Paul said, I have learned to be content when? In every situation. When I got and when I don't got, I'm going to be content. The early church was persecuted physically, economically, socially. 
They served and they followed God. But that didn't mean that everything was going to be taken care of them. Which brings us to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We need to have that same attitude that they had when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and they said, our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your idol. Our God will supply our physical needs, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to seek him first and seek his righteousness. I believe that God is going to bless me in this life. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him and follow him and trust him. And that leads us to the third point, which is worry is a sign of misplaced priorities. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, I get something different out of it. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think of a different direction, you know, that, that could be the theme. When we did the Sermon on the Mount several, several years ago, you know, the theme was kind of be different. You know, Jesus daring us to be different, raising the, the bar, as it were. Well, one of the themes could also be misplaced priorities. Because you think about what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount about, you know, you've heard that it was said this and that and the uh, strict interpretation of the law, the narrow interpretation of the law. It was all about misplaced priorities. It was all about how you looked on the outside instead of what was on the inside. When he goes on to talk about praying and giving and fasting, it's all about misplaced priorities. He said, don't make your priority when you do those things to be seen by people. Because then you've already gotten your reward. Do it all quietly. And then here he tells us that our misplaced priorities are the material things of this life. That's what he said just before when he talked about our treasures. Where are they on earth or in heaven? He asked the question. Isn't life more than food? I have a hard time saying yes to that. I like food. And I have a good, you know, reason to, I have a justification for liking food. You have to have food to keep you alive. You know, that's part of our, our being. Without food, there is no life. Right? And yet Jesus asked the question, isn't life more than food? Yeah. Because it's not about this life. It's not about this life. It's not all about this life. It's about what's to come. And if we have to suffer here, if we have to starve here, if we have to be poor here, none of that matters because we're all going to be blessed when we get to heaven. Like we talked about this morning, we're all joint heirs of Christ. We may not get everything we want or maybe even what we think we need here, but God has already blessed us with more than he could ever bless us with physically here in this life. 
if he blessed you with the, the biggest house in the world, just talking to Vicky about the, the Biltmore estate. How many of you have been to the Biltmore estate? Anybody? Few, maybe, that have been to the Biltmore estate. Well, it's a mansion. It's beyond a mansion. They wanted to make a castle in the United States. They wanted a, a castle like, like in England, in Europe. And so they built this place, and it is, it is, it is enormous, and it's beautiful, and it's, the grounds are wonderful, and it's, you know, the closest thing that we have to, you know, really a, a castle here in America. If God were to give you that, if God were to bless you with the finest food and the finest decorations and, and whatever in the house, what is that in comparison to what he has already blessed you with? It's nothing. It's nothing compared with what he has already blessed us with. We get so tied up in and so concerned in the things of this life, whether it's, whether it's popularity or whether it's power or whether it's actual things. We get so caught up in all that and therefore we start worrying about things. When Jesus is saying, if your priorities are right, you're not going to worry about all that stuff because it's really just not going to matter. Remember what Paul said, I am convinced that All the bad things that are happening here is nothing, nothing compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. So we don't worry about the things of this life. That doesn't mean we just sit around and, you know, don't do anything. But these things in this life are not that important. And we've got to convince ourselves of that fact. So he goes on and he says and focuses on that verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. First of all, we see the intensity. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his righteousness diligently. You remember that fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you starving for God? In your life. Am I starving for God. In my life. We sing that song. It comes out of one of the songs. As the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you. Do we really seek diligently. God in our lives. Secondly he says. Don't just seek. But seek first. Now this. We've talked about this also. Before. This is not a situation where first is in relationship to second, third, fourth, and fifth. It's not an ordered first, you know. Seek this first, and then seek this second, and then seek this third. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Seek first as in only. As in the priority of your life. Everything else comes under that umbrella. I'm going to seek God and his righteousness and everything else kind of fits in under that somehow. That is what Jesus is trying to tell us. It covers everything at school, at work, on the field, in the home, at leisure. Not our first priority, but our only priority that infects all the other areas of our lives. And then he says, seek first his righteousness. Righteousness. 
Not our own righteousness. Not in relationship to others. You see, if I am going to just seek to be righteously better than most everybody else, I can probably achieve that. You know? I can probably achieve that. Well, you know, I'm still better than most of the people, so, you know, I'm kind of okay. That's, that's good enough. But what about in, compare, in comparison to God's righteousness? You know, that's one of those things where you may be a little better than me or maybe I'm a little better than you or whatever, but then when we compare it to God, we are both so far away. What difference does it make? Let's seek his righteousness and go after what God wants us to be. What a timely mess. You know, this is one of those sermons. I was thinking about this. Is, has there ever been a time where a sermon on work wouldn't be applicable? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. We got a lot going on in the world around us. We got a lot going on in our country. We got a lot going on in our families, in our church, in our communities. And we can be concerned about those things. And we can, you know, do what we can do to change things and make them better. But Jesus says the things that you don't have any control over or the things that just really don't matter, don't worry about them. Don't let them bring you down. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Everything will be all right. Don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough to worry about itself. If you're here this evening, we can help in any way. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 903- Six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at eight one eight West W M Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas seven five six three eight. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at nine thirty a.m. for Bible class and ten thirty a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.